Lord, Father, we just love you this morning. We thank you for the beauty of your, just your person that's manifest, that manifests in the actions of your work that are directed by your love, which not only draws us and heals us, but also keeps us. We're so blessed to be called your children, your sons, your bride. And we're so blessed to be a part of your beautiful body. And so we just thank you for the privilege of experiencing you in time, in your purpose, in the body of Christ. And we love you and thank you in your precious name. Amen. Um, quickly this morning, um, I just wanted to talk about a privilege of the body of Christ. And turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I never, ever connected these two together, even though they're right next to each other in the Bible. Shocker. And so I'm going to read. I do this, uh, do this a few times. I talked to the boys about this before. They kind of liked it. But I'm going to read backwards, okay? And I'm going to start in verse 17. And it says this. And I just want you to see how these all are connected and how beautiful they are as they're manifested through the body of Christ. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Listen, behold, all things have become new. And we talked yesterday about the renewal, right, process. This is, a, this is listen, this is an eternal declaration by justification of the believer's positional truth in Christ. It's a fact. But God wants it to be, he wants that positional fact to be an experiential reality in the time that Christians have in, in time on this earth and then forever. He wants us to be a reality, right? But look at how these things are connected to work, listen, to work out the very, the very truth of this scripture. Let's read backwards. Wherefore, henceforth, know no man after the flesh. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Struggling with people in the flesh? Thinking you're justified? To live in unforgiveness? Comparing? A question I've asked every believer, hey, do you want to experience your new self, your new creation, your new image, right? In Christ, would you like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's easy. It's no problem. No, no man after the flesh. <laughs> it's including yourself, you know, but it starts with you, and it manifests to every single person around you, especially to those that are closest to you. Right? We know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we knew Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Now this is speaking of this is speaking of those bracelets 
Okay. First of all, did Christ have a sin nature? No. Did he ever sin? No. So it's not talking about not seeing Christ after a sinful flesh. It's saying, hey, don't compare yourself to the operation of Christ in the flesh. You know those little things? What would Jesus do? Just clip that off and throw it away because you have no idea. <laughs> That's just the facts. Because if you think you do, you'll compare yourself to him and then everybody else, and all you will know is yourself and people after the flesh. Okay? Let's get that straight. 15. Why? This is why. <clears throat> and that he died for all, that they which live should, know, should, should not henceforth live unto themselves. Isn't that interesting? Right? So how are you going to know yourself after the flesh, and how are you going to know others after the flesh by living for yourself? Right? It says that he died for all, that we should live, we should not live henceforth unto ourselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Okay? He died once and for all, and we died in him as believers that accepted him as their savior once and for all. It's over. Okay? You're not just judging yourself after the flesh. You're not just judging anyone else after the flesh. You are violating a declaration of the Most High God. That's just the fact. That's just what the Bible teaches. Did he die for all? Was his death, listen, was it enough? Yeah. Well, when you operate in yourself, listen, when you operate in yourself, you are actually living in, listen, a judicial injustice to the manifestation of the justice and the love of God based on Calvary. That's what it's saying there. You're violating it. You're trespassing. It's, I have no right, no right at all to look at my brother, associate him, listen, associate who he is to a sin that he did and bring it to his attention. I got no right. Because Christ saw, like when Ed talks about how long has God been, you know, we, and we just, it, we start to laugh, right? Because right away we get like corrected. Like we enter into almost like a repentance immediately, right? Yeah. Because we forget, oh, God's, God, listen, we say it, we've heard it 50,000 times, right? We can't hear it enough. How long has he been? And we can't describe it. <laughs> We're just, oh, we don't know. Yeah, you're right. We can say, oh, he's always been. But we don't know what, he, we don't know what that means. We just use that to say we don't know. Right? Then we say, okay, how long has he known all things as long as he's existed? Right? We have to make an adjustment to that. Like, oh, now what does that mean that he's known all things? That means he's known all things. And how long has he known all things? 
always, and we say that word, but we can't describe what it is, but it means always. All right. How long has he known? Look at, look at, I want you to look at everybody around this room. How long has God known every sin you're ever going to commit? How long has he known? He's always known, right? And he's known fully all the time, right? Well, then why is he using that person at all? Please, why is he using that person at all then? If he knows. What? What's that? Well, yeah, but he's just using that individual to glorify him. Now, think about that. It's okay with God to use that, that, that person to glorify him, but it's not okay with you. I want to experience my new man in Christ. You do. I do too. No, no, no man after the flesh. What does that mean? I mean, you, I got to trust everybody? Pretty sure God says, trust no man, right? It said about Christ, he, he, entrusted, he didn't trust himself to man because he knew it was in man. So who did he trust himself to? Listen, he trusted himself to the Father for man. How about that? I can't trust God for everything about Luke. You remember that? Why not? How about God knowing, what? Lamb slain, Revelation 13. God knowing all the time, forever, what would happen to himself in the flesh on earth. Did it stop him? Did he, did he just stop you know, receiving from his dad? Did he just stop receiving and trusting God because the humans just weren't lining up? And they weren't behaving properly? They just weren't, they just weren't, Daddy, they just are not receiving my love. Is that what happened? No. Or did he entrust himself to the Father as himself for them? And how beneficial, how beneficial was it for him to do so? Does God ever let you down? Personally, you tell me in this room, is there one time you've trusted him and he's let you down? How many times have you trusted yourself? How'd that go? Right? And then we have the audacity, the audacity to use other people's sin as an excuse not to trust God, and that's what we do. What a joke. What a joke. Who in the heck do you think we are? And it's we. We have no right. And then, of course, isn't this interesting? How's this going to happen? You know, by willpower? <laughs> no. Verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us. Isn't that interesting? Ed bought a hat yesterday from a breakfast place. He had to have this hat. And it said on there, yoke. Right? 
And all of a sudden, you get to 66 years old and you're the Apostle Paul. And you're, listen, and you're thanking God because he changed you to a Roman guard. That doesn't make any sense, Mike. It makes sense when you understand and start comprehending what you're like in your own direction. It sure does. You say, yoke me. Yoke me. Daddy, yoke me. Where's the yoke? Where's the yoke? Where's the yoke? Right? Because what's in that yoke for you? Restraining love. Right? The ability to not know, listen, the ability not to know myself after the flesh. Oh, good Lord, thank you. Oh, that has nothing to do with image. Nothing. Everything. It's the love of God. I sat outside with Isaac McLaughlin. And he said, he was talking about some things, and he says, I just, I'm afraid I'm going to, I'm afraid I'm going to veer off from God. And I'm afraid I can't keep myself. That's what he said to me. You know, he's just really, he's really talking about a Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It's really what he's talking about. He just doesn't know 13. I said, what keeps you? Yourself or the love of God? In 1 Peter 1, 5. What keeps you? Can you imagine God entrusting us to keep ourselves? Do you know your experience could be hell in a handbasket and it can, but you know it never changes your position. What's keeping you? Your work or his? Now, can you adjust? listen? Does it will it keep your experience if you make a mental adjustment and repentance and reason? Yeah. I tell people all the time: you don't believe you're saved. You know, you're struggling in your experience, and you truly are, and you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You know, you get hit by a car, you'll find out. Listen, he doesn't have to adjust to our thoughts. He's far above them. We have to adjust to his. Okay? And I'll end with this. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge, we discern, that if one died for all, then what? Then all are dead. That's talking about every single person in the body of Christ in the flesh. It's done. It's over. And if Christ dies once, he dies, right? Once and for all. In Hebrews chapter 10. So we love you this morning, Father. We thank you for your word, for your body, for your people. This is the beautiful, it's such a privilege. It is such a privilege to function in the body of Christ in the place that you've put us. It's such a privilege to experience this. And I'm so thankful that by your grace and by your grace alone, (laughs) I'm even experiencing it in this little way. And so we thank you this morning in your precious name. Amen. You know, I'm just going to share a little bit here, but that was, uh, that's pretty awesome to hear, isn't it? Hmm? Well, a couple of verses came to my mind um, in, in connection with what God was given Mike to share uh, with us. You know, in, in terms of our Christianity, in terms of our relationship with each other, and especially in terms of our relationship with those that are closest to us, 
It is never a matter of we can't trust the person. It's never that. It's just we don't trust God for the person. Again, even in Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord, right? And that word trust has to do with waiting, and that word trust has to do with, with worship. But, but what it says there is, is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Heart there is the, is the Hebrew word lab, and it means your mind. So your whole thought process, every thought, is to be dependent and trusting God for you. And that's where trust starts, you know. And, and what do we trust in God for? Well, it's important to be able to know that we can trust God in our proper image. Because that's what trust is. And trust has to do with our proper image. So when we trust in the Lord with all of our mind, right, what, what? Then we don't lean to our what? own understanding and what do we understand apart from trusting him well we we don't understand because we lose the focus and we lose the reality of our proper image so trust in the Lord with all your heart result you won't lean to your own understanding right in all your ways what should we do acknowledge him and then he'll direct our paths. And even that goes into a process of thinking. A process of thinking in every circumstance and situation. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Then what? Be not wise in your own eyes. Is there any wisdom in our own understanding apart from trusting him? Is there a proper image of me? And so when Mike was sharing that, again, uh, to know no man after the flesh and all things are new, it's, it's knowing who I am in my image, in my own individuality. And what I, I asked Mike this morning, what do you think? And I think this is very important, maybe the last time, that at some point that if we could just have the men I do. I think it's very important for, for us as men, uh, for what God has for us. And what I believe through his word that he, he gave me, and if he can give it to me, he can give it to anybody, right? So, but I just think it's so important if we could do that, you know, and uh, just, just, before, just before we go. But, um, I mean, these verses, I mean, what was shared this morning, it just was pretty awesome. So, okay, so trust in the Lord with all your heart as we wrap it up. And lean not to your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him. Okay, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. And that's your paths of thinking, and those paths have to do with your image. Your own individual image. Right? And then you can have fellowship when another believer is functioning in their image. Well, guess what you have in common? And fellowship is having something in common, and having that in common in fellowship is Christ and Him alone. That's why we can both have fellowship, right? So, I think it's so important here. And then when it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, well, if he is in Christ, is there an if about it? So really what this is saying in the original is, is if 
and since. Really, it should be, the translation should be, since, since a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Listen, if I can understand certain things, I guarantee you, you can. I I mean it, too. I'm just being very, very honest with you. Okay, I I am being very honest. So it's important, like with these little words, if, right? Like we've said before, our English, if is, well, may or may not be. So if I don't understand it, you know, like, if a man, well, am I? Yeah. Oh, I'm, geez, I don't know. I may or may not be based upon what? Like Mike said, God's thoughts? Or my own? My own understanding? Because if I function in my own understanding, it's going to be a big if, <laughs> right? right? But this is a first-class, fulfilled condition. There are four classifications of the Greek word if. There's if and it is, and that's the case here. If and it is. Second one, if and it isn't. Third one, if and it may or may not be. Fourth one, possible but not probable. Here, since a man is in Christ. Since a man is in Christ. In Christ. Since a man has a proper image, what? He's a new creature. And with that proper image, guess what it keeps out? Old things. It keeps out old things. It keeps out old thinking, old understanding. It just keeps it all out. And now when we say here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it says, for the love of Christ constrains us. How does he constrain us? How is he you know, constraining us? How, and this word literally in the Greek means he's holding you in a vice. Right? I mean, how do we determine... What our image is outside the love of God that provided it for us. We just don't. So it's the love of God constraining us. Now, when it says us, honestly, what it's saying is it's each individual. It's each individual. I can't constrain you. You you know, we can't constrain each other. Yeah. And it's, listen, it's not anyone's responsibility. Because to try and do so would be to function, and it's what you said, to, to, to lower Christ down to your level. You know? And to think that, you know, again, that comes into this false understanding and a wrong image that somehow God needs me to help Christ perform what he already did apart from me. <laughs> you know, so... For the love of Christ constrains us, really, individually. But he's viewing us in our own individuality that make up the one new man. And we all together in our own individuality with a proper image, when we keep it out of ourselves, the old, we keep it out of when we come together. And then there's this beautiful flow. And in that way, the love... That the Father and the Son, how do you say these things, like always had, you know, like the whole time Christ walked the face of the earth, when he was God in his humanity, he never left the bosom of the Father. Yeah, okay. We're going to have, we trust him for that, don't we? Right? Just like little kids. The little kids may not understand certain things, but they, but they have to trust him. And sometimes God puts us in a place, listen, you're going to have to trust me whether you like it or not, Period. So the love of Christ constrains us because we thus discern, listen to this, that if one died for all, who did that? 
one. <laughs> There's what oneness is, by the way. Right? If one died, if one died, well, did one die? Well, if you read Romans, the fifth chapter, you know that one did. Who was that one? That was Christ, right? So since one died for all, he did. He died for all, then all were dead. Okay, so why did Christ have to die? Well, because all were dead. You know, 1 Timothy 5, verse 6 says, she that lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Because death, some, you know, you have this false, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but I guess God wants me to, so. You know, there's a big, huge doctrine, that's so-called doctrine that's going around. It's called annihilationists. People that are annihilationists thinking that those that, only those that are in Christ going to live forever. All the rest, God's going to annihilate so they don't exist anymore. But the, the, the only way you can come up with that is to, underst- to misunderstand what death is. Death is never dis- extinction. Never. It's separation. So when I die, my, my spirit and soul separate from my body. My body, if I don't get raptured, but my body goes d- back to the dust in Genesis 3.19. My spirit and soul in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7 return to God who gave it, or if you're not born again, uh, into the jail cell called hell you go. <laughs> Death is separation. And that's why he said in Genesis 2.17, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in dying, really the Hebrew says, in dying you will die. So being separated from God, being separated from him, you die physically. But thank God for us that are in Christ, in Romans 6.9, he that dies once, what? Dies no more. Dies no more. And then... And so, again, this is all what this is saying here. So that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now listen, we're all dead. Yes. Do all experience life again? No, because look what it says in verse 15. And that he died for all, right? That they which live, does it say all? No. That they which live, in other words, those that have a proper image, those that have the life of Christ as theirs individually, look what it says, from now on should not live unto themselves. And when I don't live unto him, do I function in a proper image? And are things in disorder then in my life and as a result become an outward manifestation? But unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know what? We what? No man after the flesh. So potentially, even someone that's unsafe, how should I know them? And the potential that, my God. I, I thought of this, you know, and I, I think I mentioned it before as we, as we close this morning, but I, in, in my and God dealing with me since he's brought me back in areas that some areas I was ignorant of, other areas I want to just be honest with you, I just kept functioning in. You know, areas of dishonesty, areas of shame. And boy, are we masters at hiding them, aren't we? <laughs> oh, boy, I don't want to be mastered by that anymore. I'll tell you that right now. I, I, you know, what does it take for God to make us get, get to the end of ourselves? 
because he has to bring us to a place of experiential death in our life. So uh, death, so we experience a proper image in our life. Right? He has to bring us in each circumstance and situation, each particular place that we're in, to the place of continual helplessness and hopelessness. And then, we, then, then with that need, he draws us to himself. But I remember looking at these scriptures, and, and as God is dealing with me, I mean, just as he does every morning, I'm not up there preparing a brilliant message. I'm there, and he's dealing with me. And, you know, and I love it. I do. He is counseling me. Then if he wants to bring a message out, fine. If not, hmm. If I don't have any wisdom, and that's knowing when, where, and how to apply or to appropriate or to bring forth the word of God, if I don't have that, next best thing is silence. <laughs> Be still in Psalm 4610. Because if I don't have wisdom... You know what I can? I still have the opportunity to be still and to just know him and know that he is God. And when it says that he is God there, when it says that, what he's saying is he rules over all. What it's saying there, the one who rules, and this is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is his rule on the earth. Outside, Has that ever happened with Christ? Nope. But the kingdom, the kingdom of God is he rules throughout all eternity. So that means that God, be still and know God, you know, to be able to know him who rules throughout all eternity, seeing that he inhabits it in Isaiah 57, verse 15. But I, as he began to deal with me personally in areas, as he was doing that, and thank God the Holy Spirit... He's the only one, God the Holy Spirit is the only one who can show you what you're not, what, you, what you're functioning in that's not of Christ without condemning you. Do you see that? That's why conviction's so awesome. See? Because the Holy Spirit, God's presence, is always there to lovingly convict those that are His so they won't be condemned. Right? And, and to be condemned for a believer is to what? It's to function in a false image, which is based upon what? What's it based upon? It's based upon a lie. Right? And as I was thinking these things, and he was showing me areas of wickedness in my life without condemning me because it's not truly who I am, but I'm functioning in it. And then I saw, I said, oh my God, what is the, I said, God, in, in this false image, in the flesh, I am no different than the, the unsaved, most wicked, evil person. I, I'm no different. But, oh my God, thank God, I am better off than you. And see, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He has to bring us to these places, to these points in our, in our life where... Because area where, where I was able to help myself apart from him, be okay without him, he had to bring me to the place of helplessness. And once I get there, he brings me to the place, listen, this hopelessness, what else can I do? What else could the prodigal do when he was in his rags, couldn't feed himself, and had nothing? What was the only thing he could do? Return. <laughs> Return. Return to his father so that 
they could have a relationship that was based upon a proper image. Wherefore know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. From now on, we are not to know him that way. And I love what you said about those bracelets because the fact of the matter is, even some songs that we think are okay, you know, we are to know, this is how we're to know Christ, honestly. Yes, he was a baby. Yes, he came. That was nice. It was real. But we're to know him risen as God seated at the right hand of the Father, far above everything. Far above everything. Fact of the matter is, in our life, is he, and, my, and I love what you said, Mike, is he enough? Is he sufficient? Is he? Is he? Well, let's close. Yet henceforth, henceforth, from now on, know we him no more. Therefore, if any man, since any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, and as a result, all things, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. Are they to everyone? No. You know why it says in Romans 8, 28, you ever read that? Where it says, all things work together for the good to everybody? Does it say that? No, to them that what? Love God. Now, some would interpret that to think, see, there's works there, there's legal. No. Well, why do we love him? Well, because he first, what? Loved us. Can I function outside of first love? Do I function properly? Do I have a proper image? Do I, do I see God and who he is? Reflected in me through Christ? Right? All things are of God. For who? who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So all things work together for the good to them that love God and are, and the Greek says, are the called according to who? To whose purpose? His purpose. And what is his purpose in Romans 8, verse 29? Listen, to conform us, listen to what it says, to the what? Image of who? image of Christ in you. And that's why even in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, where Paul includes himself there, Paul actually, he actually does, he actually includes himself, where he says, even if we abide not faithful, he abides faithful. Listen to what it says. He can't deny himself. In other words, he will not deny the image of his son in you, and you will part from him. Man. So that means this, that maybe we failed each other. I don't know what kind of a relationship you're in, you haven't in some kind of thing. And is that failure the definition of who you are, even in that, even in that proper image? No, no. So we have a provision, don't we? We have a provision that even when someone fails or rejects us, how many like that? I'm gonna, look, you know, I, I can say to you, you know, as a big 68-year-old, pastor, you know, oh, oh, rejection doesn't bother me. <laughs> Come on. Well, but what do I do with it? What do I do with it? You know, is it the definition of who I am? Is it my, does rejection have a thing to do with my image? It doesn't. And yours, Right? So what can we do, right? 
you know? And the kid, you know, I keep it simple, I'm close. That means, so the kids are outside, we're like kids outside playing, right? And just enjoying, okay, just enjoying things. You ever see kids when they play? You ever see little kids, like adults can be talking and little kids are in their own world. They're just playing, you know? And in that sense, that's what, that's what we should be like in his presence. You know, I keep it simple. Honestly, it's that simple to me. You know, if this isn't, God doesn't make this simple to me, see you later. That, and, and really, it's not hard. It's just we just have to give our will over and be taught. That's all. It's simple. And then grow in it, too, though. But you ever see them? It's like the kids, they're outside playing, right? They're, they're on their own. They're out there playing. And guess what? When the storm comes and the wind and the rain, what do the kids do? They run home. We always have a place. We always have him to run to. And he's already prepared. No one ahead of time. No one all things. He's already prepared every circumstance, every situation, a way for us to run to him. He doesn't take us out of circumstances and situations like false philosophy or get your mind so you're no longer functioning in that circumstance and situation. Right? Never. No. He's with us in the circumstance and in the situation, and he is bringing in an intensity of intimacy. And when you're that way, nothing can disturb you or distract you. Amen? Amen.